0: You need to fist pump the person next to you. Is everyone awake? Good. So much happening in the life of our church, and uh, I'm so grateful for it. We launch into the book of Acts today. I'm going to read the first five of uh, 11 verses that I'm going to be tackling today. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As we look at your word, come Holy Spirit. Speak to us, guide us, coach us. Take us where you want us. We are so grateful for where you have taken us as a church till now. Lord, as we listen to prayers prayed, as we see people who've matured, as we look at bags filled with packages of love towards our community, we pray more and more of your life and your ministry through us as a church. As we look at the book of Acts, which is the story of the church emerging onto the the world scene, God, I pray that you would make us a people hungry to live out your word and to practice your ways, that we would become a people of love, a people on mission, a people of the kingdom. Would you guide us to this end, we pray. Amen. Oh, thank you, Andy. that's why he got the job. So many, many, many years ago, now you've got to take you back a long time ago, when there was something that was strictly called a TV. Remember those days? It had a big back about, it was deeper than it was wide, most of those TVs. And um, there was something really fascinating about the, the good old-fashioned TV. In that, if you didn't see it, you missed it. Remember those days? Unless you had that fancy little tape recorder at the bottom, in which case you could push record sometimes, but then you had to watch it with fuzzy lines through it, remember? And, uh, and, and, and what was interesting about owning a television back in the day, I mean, we have smart TVs, I know, and there's Apple TV, but, but those are not the real thing. When, when we had the TV, it was unique. Um, one of my favorite shows was MacGyver. Come on, put your hand up if you watch the originals. Now, I'm not talking about the latest ones. Okay, you can have the, the originals or the latest ones. But MacGyver was like, oh, man, everybody needed a penknife like MacGyver. I literally would spend days in my garden just trying to relive MacGyver. And uh, we, would, we knew the time that MacGyver was on, and we would all as a family congregate around the, the big screen that had a big back that could hardly fit on the, the t- mantelpiece because it was all so big. And we would gather around MacGyver. I have three siblings, parents. We would gather around and we would watch MacGyver. And there was nothing like it. If MacGyver wasn't there, there was the A team and uh, there were other things like it, but MacGyver was by far my favorite. Hey, Chad, it was good. It was a go-to. But every now and again, you would be watching MacGyver, and you knew that, you know, it was going to end shortly. And because we all knew how long these things were, and the 9 o'clock news was about to start, and you're going, this is, I know MacGyver, and I know he gets out of things miraculously, but this seems unlikely. And you're getting to like 5 to 9, and you're going, how? It's impossible. I can't see how he's going to do it. And the next thing, to your disgust. The music starts playing, and the dreaded three words, to be continued, arrives on your big, or actually tiny screen, and you go, no, I can't believe it. We've got to wait a whole week to find out what he does and how he gets out of this mess. And inevitably, he's stuck in some little room, a ticking bomb, and you're not sure what he's going to do with his pen knife. And you get to school the next day, and the playground is filled with MacGyver frenzy. All my buddies are going, how's he going to get out of this thing? And we're living in the story between this moment that we heard and that moment that we've got to wait a whole nother week to find out. And there is no one who's stolen the good. Nobody who's, who's got a CD or a DVD. We don't even know what those things were back in those days. You just wait. you just stuck between the two. Really, what we're doing in the book of Acts as we journey is understanding ourselves, to be stuck between these two realities. And why we've called this journey to be continued, Acts isn't over, because we want to submerge ourselves in, as a community, into the story of God through the church. And the book of Acts is Luke's best effort to write something knowing he would not be around forever, but in a way that as he writes this, That everyone who reads it gets this feeling like, oh my goodness, it's not finished. I know that it goes to uh, chapter 28, but I've got a feeling that 29 and 30 and 31 are going to continue. That the church is part of it and that whilst Jesus has resurrected, he hasn't yet returned. And we're stuck between these two worlds and we're part of the to be continued story. And we're going to uh, join in with this author, Luke who writes so beautifully, and if you could keep the text up there as much as we possibly can, Um, you'll see that Luke writes this, and and we know Luke is the writer for, for many reasons, but he writes in my former book, Theophilus. That means he's written a book before. If you go to the beginning of Luke, he writes to Theophilus. What a cool name. Hey, anybody pregnant? There's a goodie. Why are you laughing? He's listening maybe, hey? could be watching this sermon up there. In my former book, Theophilus. So he's writing. He's going, I wrote the book of Luke, but now I'm writing the book of Acts. And what's amazing is he carries on. He says, I wrote all about, uh, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Look to the person next to you and say the word, began. Some of you didn't do it, man. Say, began. Come on, Andy. You can do better. This is an important word, possibly the most important word in these couple of verses because what Luke is trying to do here is he's saying, I wrote the book of Luke and I wrote about everything that Jesus was up to, but Jesus isn't finished. And what we're going to see in this story is that, yes, Jesus is going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. He is going to be gone in the physical form, but he is not going to be finished the work that he's up to. He has started something, and there is a massive to be continued, as Luke writes this story. And as you read the Book of Acts, I want to invite you to submerge yourself to read it as though you're reading yourself into this story. Michael Eaton he says, Acts is about what the church is meant to be, not about what the church is to remember as its past. He's not writing the story to go, oh yeah, that's how it all happened that's pretty cool. Amazing stuff used to happen. He's writing about how this is meant to be the continued story. If it goes up to chapter 28, hey, we're chapter 2028, whatever it may be. Uh, If you gave it a year, it would probably be pretty close to where we'd be at. We continue in the story, and Luke is writing it with that express purpose. He's saying, read yourself in. listen to these stories. This is not over. This continues. We are between the to-be-continued reality of his resurrection and ascension and then his return. And notice how Luke starts this. He says, in my former book, I wrote all about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Christian faith really is, in terms of Jesus' leadership, it's all about Jesus doing and teaching. And, and Jesus sets this example over and over. And he says, if you want to be a follower of mine, hey, you're going to have to emulate what I do and you're going to have to follow what I teach. Do what I do and do what I say and you will be on a good wicket. That's what it's all about. See, if Luke is all about Jesus' earthly ministry through Jesus, Acts is all about Jesus' earthly ministry too through the Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit and our partnership with Him as we walk and work out what is Jesus doing? What is Jesus teaching? How could He be working in the world? In Jesus' ministry, He did things and He taught things. He healed the sick. He cleansed the temple. He cast out demons. He did a lot of teaching as well. He gave teaching about God's kingdom, about the way in which disciples should live, about relating to God, our Father. Jesus still leads His church in this same way. Michael Eaton says it like this, When we want only Jesus' words but not his actions, it leads to spiritual dryness and intellectualism. But we cannot have his actions without his words. That would be too mysterious, too confusing. It would open the way to deceit. Jesus brings both words and deeds into the life of his people. What we do as we get into the book of Acts is we begin to say, Jesus, teach us. What are you doing? And uh, and what are you teaching us? And we begin to walk with him. And Luke is bringing this big invitation. He says, I showed you what Jesus did. Now I wanna show you what you could do in partnership with him as you walk with the Holy Spirit. And so I wanna suggest today four reasons why the story isn't over. And I'm going to uh, be aware of time and, uh, and get through as many of these reasons as I can. But I'm so aware that even as we worship today, there's a sense of God's spirit already here. I don't need to convince you that the work isn't over. But I want to give you a a framework from the Scriptures why you and I are called to lean in, to to partner with, to say yes to the story that he's writing and to writing ourselves into that story. First thing we notice is that Jesus resurrected from the dead so that we could be resurrected into his story. Look at verse 3. It says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Luke was such a meticulous author. He, he gave such careful thought to all the details. If you're a skeptic and you're going, oh, I just don't know if I can trust this stuff. Like you're looking in just uncertain about the claims of the gospel, the claims of Christ. What I love about the Bible is, is guys like Luke and Paul talk about the fact that, that Paul, for example, he says, you know, as I'm writing this, there's 500 people who can attest to everything I'm saying about this resurrected Jesus. It's wonderful. They, they weren't going like, oh, let's, let's distance ourselves from the proofs. Let's make sure that nobody actually uh, is aware of what really happened. Luke talks about his meticulous thoughtful uh, unpacking of the story, of understanding all the details. And then he goes on to say about Jesus that he presented himself to them, giving many convincing proofs that he was alive. Like us, the disciples had some questions. A resurrected Jesus is a really, really difficult thing to come to terms with. A resurrected anyone is a difficult thing to come to terms with. And so we shouldn't necessarily just go, yeah, that's easy, I believe it. We probably, like Thomas, would have some natural doubts. The great Tim Keller, who passed away yesterday, very sadly, amazing man, probably the most influential author on our community, probably on, on the Western church that I know of. He used to say this. He said, doubt, teach yourself to doubt your doubts, to interrogate your doubts, to ask great questions of your doubts, to begin to think about what, why are you doubting? But then, to, is, are my doubts valid? Can I, can I actually believe these doubts? And when it comes to the, the resurrection of Jesus, these are important questions because if he rose again, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, then it is amazing. We are to live for Christ and to give our lives wholeheartedly to him. But if he didn't, Paul writes, he says, we should be pitied more than anyone. Why are we here? If he never rose again, by all means, never come back to church. Don't waste your time, you know, kind of trying to steward your money wisely. Don't waste your time trying to love other people. For goodness sake, make it all about you. Love yourself as long as and quickly as you can. Make yourself as happy as you can. In Paul's words, eat, drink, and be merry, says Paul, for tomorrow we die. That's literally, he says, if Christ never rose, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But he did rise again, and he is alive and so in his resurrection, says the scriptures, we too rise with him as we put faith, our faith in him. He gives us a, a, a new chance. He gives us a, a second opportunity at this life that we have done so averagely at living. And he says, come, I want you to experience my resurrection life. If I'm alive, then you too can be alive. And you can start this new life, this new adventure, this new journey. Notice when Jesus resurrects and he speaks, he doesn't bring convincing proofs that we should be strong in the face of load shedding. He doesn't say, hey, you can face this, the difficult times in the economy. You've got this one. He brings convincing proofs that he is alive and he talks about the kingdom of God. Maybe today we could invite the Holy Spirit as I speak to you to say, God, would you make the main story the main story? So often the minor stories are the main story, and so we're sandwiched between will I have power later, or will my salary be worth what it was last month because the economy is taking a dive. But Jesus says, actually, there's a bigger story in which you're sandwiched. On the one side, there is a resurrected Christ. Holy Spirit, help me to be aware that on that side, I live with a resurrected Christ. There's more reasons why we should t- find hope. There's more reasons why we uh, can say the story isn't finished. The next one is this, is that the kingdom has come in Jesus. The kingdom has come in Jesus. Verse three, it says, "He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. They gathered around him and asked him, "Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom?" Hey, they had so many expectations about the kingdom, and I don't have time to go into all of them right now. But the expectation of the kingdom from any Jewish person was you know what? Someone like David, a powerful, monarchical king, is going to come in. He's going to save Israel, and they are going to be powerful, and they will be good for the nations of the world. And they asked this question, and it's a good question that probably you and I would ask as well. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for this question. They say, When, are, when is the kingdom going to come? When is it going to come? Because they're really wondering, they're going, when's that David-like figure going to come, this big king? You've died, you've risen, we're convinced of you, but is the kingdom coming now? Are things like we saw in Isaiah going to happen, where the the wolf will dwell with the lamb, where the leopard will lie down with the young goat, where the cow and the bear will graze together, where this peace, this shalom, this stuff we've longed for, we're waiting for this Messiah to bring it. Is it going to happen now? Is Ezekiel 36 going to happen where you're going to give a new heart and a new spirit within us? You're going to remove the heart of stone and and, and give us a heart of flesh. Is that going to happen now, Jesus? He says, it's not for you to know the times. Oh, my goodness. They must have gone, what do we do with this? How do we deal with this reality that we actually, we've got the kingdom. Jesus has arrived and the kingdom is here, but he also says it's not for you to know the times. I wish I had... More time. But what I will say is that it's a bit like a marriage. Have you ever been to a wedding? Yes, I think you have. The wedding has, you know two parts to it. You, you get to a wedding and a bride and groom, the bride walks down the aisle. I'm so excited. We're going to be at a wedding shortly. And uh, the bride walks down the aisle. The vows are said. There's amazing uh, just love and passion. There's a, there's a sense that afterwards there's celebration. Rings have been put on the finger. It's amazing. The wedding happens because the vows have happened. The party is happening. The feasting is happening. It is amazing except the groom's going, it's not finished, if you know what I mean. There's something that the Bible really cares about called consummation. That's why Christians don't have sex before marriage, because they really believe that this is such an important part of what it means to be a follower of God, that there is a, a waiting. This is to emulate something that's, that's happening in the heavenlies. It's a big deal to God. And so what's amazing in a wedding is that the bride and groom are together, they're married, the community around them are celebrating, but there is still a little delay. There's still a wait till they are fully intimate, till they have fully consummated the beauty of what it means to be a husband and a wife. That's the wonder of marriage. That's the wonder of what it means to, to get married before God. But that's what's happening here as well. Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times and the places. What's happened now is in Jesus, the spirit of God and the power of God has come. The the wedding has happened. Jesus has died and he's beaten sin and Satan and death. He's risen again. There is new life in him. There is a kingdom that is here, but there is a kingdom that is not yet. It's not fully consummated. It isn't finished. We're sandwiched between the now and the not yet. Jesus is with us. There is power to live the Christian life. There is power to go out and be witnesses. We've heard more and more stories of people just like you and I in our communities, loving people into following Jesus. Hey, this year, we we had a row of people in the frontier who got prayed for and saw miraculous healing. Did everyone get healed? No. Did some people get healed? Yes. Why? Because we're in the middle We're in between. It's already, but it's not yet. It's amazing, but it isn't consummated. He's come in his physical body. He's poured out his spirit, but man, the the bridegroom hasn't fully come back. We haven't dealt with evil and, and the brokenness of this world. We're living in the overlap of the ages. It is a complex place to live, but the story isn't over. We're living in the middle of it. We're warriors. We're, we're, we're kings uh, and queens living under this rule of God saying, go, have dominion, uh, do what you've been called to do. There is a power of God's spirit upon us, which is the third point. Why has this not finished? Because God's spirit has arrived to empower our chapter. Look at verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. You'll receive power. You see, the amazing part of why we can be sure this story isn't finished, why we can't just kind of, you know, ask someone to baptize us and just hold us under until it's all over and we go be with Jesus. Then we come out of the water and we're alive. And what do we do? We say, come, Holy Spirit, fill me. Amazingly, many people get filled with the Spirit. They put their faith in Jesus. Maybe they pray a prayer with a friend. They pray a prayer at church. Somebody guides them through a prayer, and they put their faith in Christ. And what's amazing about putting your faith in Jesus, so often the Spirit of God just comes upon a person in a real beautiful, tangible way. The Scriptures say every person who puts their faith in Jesus, the the, the Spirit dwells inside of them. But then the Bible also teaches that, especially through the book of Acts, and we'll see next week in Pentecost, that actually there is an extra ongoing infilling that we can experience, that that God loves to give a special sense of his presence to his people, and that we can live out of an ongoing sense of fullness. Like a car sitting in the garage with no fuel is is a follower of Jesus who hasn't been ongoingly filled with the Spirit. Maybe it's a new theology to you. Maybe you've come from a conservative church. I want to invite you into a journey of looking into the Scriptures. Not looking into church history, look into the scriptures, look into Luke, look into Acts and see what is Luke trying to say to us as he coaches us through the wonder of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Hey, I, uh, I, I don't know exactly which comes first. I have my favorite analogy, if you're tired of hearing me with the pedal analogy, I'm going to give it one more time. Because when Jesus says, you'll be filled with power, what does he say next? He says, you'll be my witnesses. One of the funny things about my life is that I find that when I am a witness to the resurrected Jesus, I find I'm filled with power. It's like the pedal comes up. I get filled with power. I can't believe it. I'm like, God, you use me to help somebody to see you. Whether it's a follower of Jesus and I witness and they get fresh courage, whether it's a person who doesn't know Christ and I share the gospel, it's like the Spirit fills me as I share the gospel. It's like that pedal goes down and I get filled. And and I don't know the chicken or egg situation. It seems like God wants to fill you. And as he fills you, you'll be a witness. And maybe if you're going, I just haven't witnessed. I've got no urgency to, to witness to the goodness of God. Maybe your prayer is, Holy Spirit, fill me. But actually, maybe the prayer is also, Holy Spirit, use me. Maybe the next colleague, you don't hold back. You share the love of Christ. You share an invitation. You don't hold back. You step forward. The world is hostile, but let me tell you, there is low-hanging fruit in every office and every home that we walk into, in every space. God has some people for you. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. You're not walking into random situations day in and day out. You're walking into a world where God has sovereignly planned your clients, Vic, Dean. He cares about Chad, exactly the people you're going to interact with. Christine, Wayne, these people that we walk into and meet, you're called to be witnesses. And he's going to give you power, Marv, to be able to love people. This is not random out there. We are witnesses of the resurrection of Christ. Christ. We've seen it with the eyes of the Spirit, and we are called to ask God for increasing power to love the world into which he's called us. Hey, the final reason we can find great joy and know that we are part of the ongoing story is that he says he will come back. He'll return to climax the story. Verse 9 and 10 says this, after, this he, said, he, was t- uh, after, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Imagine that. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is now the ascending Jesus. You you need some imagination. You need to believe this stuff. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. It's a remarkable thing. If you, if you believe he rose again, there's one other thing you need to believe, is that he will come back. And just like MacGyver, the final installation will come back next week, and you will wait in pain and anxiety while you wonder how he will sort this thing out. The scriptures are clear. Christ will return. Is the global warming pandemic worry you more than where the Christ will return, or the power problems, or the corruption in our nation, or the world, or where you should live, or what your future should be, or which school you should get your kids to, or is the biggest story that he will return, that he will wrap it all up, and that that is the most important part of the story? Because if you believe that, you're living in the to be continued. And what's most remarkable is that it's as though MacGyver steps out of the story by the power of the Spirit and he says, come. Come join me. We can can be part of this redemption story. You don't watch it from a distance. God, by the Holy Spirit, says you are an agent of redemption. You put your faith in Christ. You say yes to the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus. You give your life over in glorious and radical surrender. You're no longer your God. You're no longer in charge of yourself. You say, here I am. Do whatever you want with me. Maybe the scariest question I could ask you today is, what would it cost you? What would it take for God to ask you to plant a church? Or to move to another nation. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm asking you to open your hands freshly. Because God through the book of Acts is going to call us. What would it take maybe for you to really invite a colleague to understand Jesus better? I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you that as we move with God on mission. One of the most wonderful freedoms is the freedom of learning to forget ourselves. And find ourselves in his story, to step out of watching it or even watching ourselves. One of the big psychologized parts of our world is that we become so good at watching ourselves from the outside. God invites you into the story where he says, you live in the story. I'll watch you. I'll look after you. I'll care for you. I'll provide for you. But I might also send you. I might send you just to your neighbors and I might send you into the nations of the world. But would you say a big yes? And I believe that as we walk into this journey of acts that uh, giving clothes to people down the road is just the beginning, that God is going to call us into deeper relationship, into a deeper experience and expectation of His spirit to empower us to witness and to get over our fear and to realize that on the other side of our faith are many, many stories of his redemption. I'm not trying to kick you out of Sunningdale or Tableview or Bloberg to go to the nations of the world but I kind of am. I'm kind of am trying to kick us out of our comfort zones. I kind of am trying to ask the question, what does it look like for me to read the book of Acts as the way Luke really called me to read it? To read myself into the story, and as I see people going, as I see people filled with the Spirit, I don't go, "Ha, that is amazing for them. Sure, what a cool thing. But to find myself going and wrestling and reflecting and asking the question, What could it mean if I were written into this? What could it mean if we were written into this? What kind of community could we become as we find ourselves not looking at this as a history lesson, but looking at this as the story God's writing us into? I'm going to ask the band to join us. We're going to sing, but we're going to sing in a way that simply says, God, write me in. Count me in. Count me into reflection. Count me into wrestling. Can't be into wrestling with the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts is probably the hardest book to read if you don't want to be challenged. <laughs> if you're up for some challenge, let's dig in. But I think that's what our generation needs more than anything else is to get over our frivolous and often minor pains to find the pain of the world and to see God's redemptive gospel. Let's stand. Jesus, this morning we thank you that by your amazing grace you write us into the story. It's sheer kindness that would let us be part of your beautiful story. We don't move towards you with trepidation or with fear. No, the sense I had was this joy at having found true love. The gospel is not a story of of arriving at someone who's gonna send us into dark and scary places. The gospel is the story of arriving at a God who has brought us into the warmth of his loving light. Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we come to one who is the epitome of love. You are love defined, you are joy defined, you are the perfect one that our souls need more than anything else. And as we come to you, we invite you to fill us with your presence, with your power. We invite you to remind us and to deeply reflect on the wonder that you are resurrected as a fact of history, and you have ascended, and you will return. And so the story continues. And the remarkable thought that we of all the people on the face of the earth would be filled with your spirit and empowered to go is nothing short of breathtaking. So like Isaiah, we say, here we are, Lord. Send us, fill us, empower us, call us, do with us whatever you will. We're yours. This community is not the elders' community. It's not mine. It's not the deacon's. It's yours. And we look forward to seeing more of what you have begun to do and to teach. Do much amongst us. Pour out your spirit with signs, wonders, and miracles, Jesus. Surprise us. We can't tell you what to do. All we can do is say, here we are. Coach us and guide us.